Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. I wanted to welcome everyone to uh, Mornings with Joel, the uh, CRE podcast. And uh, we certainly thank you for joining with us today. We're kind of back on track and getting rolling again with our weekly call. We'll meet every Monday at 10 a.m. and talk about issues related to commercial real estate that relate directly to uh, your interests and what you want to hear about. So with that being said, if you ever have any questions or topics that you would like to see covered on the class or on the podcast, or even guests that you think would be worth bringing on that we should talk to about a certain subject, uh, please feel free to reach out to me and we'll be happy to uh, add that to the program. Deneen has our or has our contact information and Jerry also, who happens to be um, away today, but she has our contact information as well. And you can feel free to reach out and uh, let me know what's going on. So, but I wanted to um, invite our special guest today. We have uh, Zulika Frazier and uh, Zulika, welcome as always. Happy to have you today. Thank you. Happy to be here. All right. Fantastic. Well, we appreciate that. So, um, by the way, as a side note, are you here in the States or are you still away? I'm still away. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, fantastic. Well, for you guys who don't know, uh, while we're here toiling away, Zalika's out there looking at the beach somewhere, having a good time, I'm sure. So, uh, you know, only on the weekends, work. I promise. Okay. <laughs> well, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, I'm happy you're able to do that and uh, enjoy yourself and kind of get away. You know, that's good. But I wanted to uh, to talk to you about this, and I appreciate your willingness to uh, help us out with this. You've got a lot of background in affordable housing. And as we all know, multifamily has really become the key thing. You know, it's the flavor of the month. Everybody wants to get into multifamily. Uh, even my personal portfolio, we're working on expanding as it relates to multifamily. And the question is, what area of multifamily do you jump in? Some people view multifamily as assisted living. Some people view it as, you know, affordable or they want to use uh, LIHTC tax credits. They want to use new market tax credits or they want to do it as market rate. So there's a lot of different things you have to look at. Should retail be a component of your development or what the case might be? Or should you even buy an affordable housing project? And Zalika, I'm going to ask you some questions about that a little bit later. No problem. It relates to that because, um, you know, I'm looking at a, a deal right now and, uh, your input, I think, would be very helpful. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, give us a little bit of, of your background, if you don't mind, and, and why you're the person that we should be uh, listening to as it relates to affordable housing. So I have worked in the affordable housing industry for quite some time now. Started in compliance on in property management with a boutique um, developer in Miami, Florida, and uh, Worked my way up to being a tax credit underwriter at the state HFA, Georgia State HFA, and then the bond lead of the bond finance program um, for the 4% LIHTC. Also, I've worked at Atlanta Housing, director of underwriting there. Now I'm a vice president with CSG Advisors. We work on one end of the business, working with HFAs and more so on the bonds, municipal bonds. Mm -hmm. And then on in the group I work with, the housing group, we work with the housing authorities across the United States, helping them with financial analysis and redefining their asset. So a lot of it is rad. A lot of it is rad and light tech and, and how do you navigate in those fields? Um, so that's where our focus is right now. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess why I'm the person to talk about this, I'm very passionate about affordable housing, um, not only having lived in affordable housing, but just coming up the way I did, not even knowing that there was a world on the other side of being a leasing agent, of, you know, taking checking those income verifications so that to qualify a tenant for an apartment, there's the front end where you get to on the housing finance side, you get to tell the developer how you want to shape the affordable housing stock in your state. Pretty much um, even at Georgia State Community Affairs, Georgia Community Affairs, I was also involved in writing of the QAP. So the bond section 
the QAP, 2017 QAP, I wrote, and it was collaborated with the team on staff. And you get to kind of set the process and precedent as to how we want to look at deals, how we want developers to kind of start picking deals or, or sending deals for us to make a decision as an allocating agency as to what deals will be financed or do they meet the criteria that we set forth in the QAP. Yeah, so I, I think I'm qualified. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you go on and on, huh? So, I could try. <laughs> all right. No, I appreciate that. So let's do this for the um, sake of our audience. Let's define some of these terms. You mentioned RAD, LIHTC, QAP. What do those mean uh, for the sake of our audience? Sure. So just a definition. Dump. Okay. So QAP is your Qualified Allocation Plan. Mm -hmm. RAD is Rental Assistance Demonstration Program under HUD. You hear a lot of housing authorities going to asset reposition from the Section 9 projects to Section 8. And then... LIHTC is your low-income housing tax credit. You know, that is pr pretty much what we want to focus in terms of how do you add that to your deal? How does it help your deal? What implications would you have as a developer? How does it impact your deal? What do you need to do? How do you get started? And that kind of stuff uh, we could talk about today. Okay. All right. Well, that sounds good. That sounds good. So when we talk about affordable housing, what type of options are there really available to a developer or to uh, someone who wants to buy an affordable housing product? So affordable housing, I would say this multifamily, single, single family, when you're looking at a product, when you're looking at financing, there is options available in terms of HUD also has affordable housing conventional debt. You can look at what they have in terms of Fannie or Freddie and tell loans, which is tax exempt loans. You could look at tax exempt bond financing, which your state agency also provides. Um, and local agencies such as Invest Atlanta also provide bond financing. And then you take a look at the tax credit, the low-income housing tax credit. Even when it comes to your retail portion of your deal, you could look at new market tax credits. And then, and these are just a few options. And then some developers are like, I don't want to do all of that. How do I just secure my rent? You can look at the housing th authorities programs through PBV or PBRA rents um, Section 8 program. Okay. All right. And most of us are familiar with, with Section 8, so we appreciate that. Now, there's different types of uh, LIHTC offerings as well. Uh, can you break those down a little bit for us? Okay. You have the 4%. So, okay. Yeah. So in the LIHTC program, there are two types. So there's the 4%, there's the 9%. The 9% is very competitive. This is where your housing finance agency will put together in the QAP to tell the developer, here's how you score best on your deal. So they're gonna set out a scoring criteria. This is what you have to do in order to score the highest, in order to be among the group that gets selected for allocation. And then what that does is that that 9% allocation is it guarantees pretty much your deal has the cheapest form of financing at the best rate. The 4% you can get as well. And the good thing about it, so it's at, it's fixed at 9%. Now, since I think it was December or January, the 4% used to be fluctuating, but since December or January, it's now 4%. So developers are getting more equity out of the deal when they're doing a 4% deal. What's the difference between the nine and the four? The four percent, your deal has to be at minimum financed with fifty percent of tax exempt bonds. Okay. And yeah, you and know. then there are other uh, follow up requirements in terms of on nine percent, you have a ten percent test to do. That means ten percent of your aggregate costs you have to be able to spend in one year. But your core differences between the nine and the four is that fifth, you must meet that 50% on the 4% deal. And fifth, that is 50% of your construction costs must be covered by tax exempt financing. Okay. All right. Very good. Very good. Now, what, what are the, well, you mentioned some of the benefits of that. So when you're looking at a deal, obviously the 9% gives you a greater advantage, but like you said, it's very competitive. Uh, at that particular point. Let me ask this before we move on. Does anyone have any questions about those particular 
tax credits uh, that they want to ask at this time. Because again, this is an open discussion. I don't want it to be, you know, all about me and, and Zalika just talking. So <laughs> if there's any questions on that, uh, if you got your virtual hand, you know, that'll be great. Okay, actually, Kimberly Scott, what do you have for us? Thank you so much for putting this on. I had a question about, she mentioned the RAD, the QAP, and then there was one more that I didn't catch. What was um, LIHTC? Yeah. Um, okay. We call it LIHTC, Low Income Housing Tax Credit. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Thank you. No problem. All right. Okay. All right. Fantastic. So, all right. So, yeah, that's, um, and like I said, if any other questions come up, just uh, raise your virtual hand. We'll be happy to call on you and, and let you ask your questions. So as it relates to these type of projects, uh, what's one of the things that a person or a developer should know about getting a tax credit deal? Because you get this credit, but there are certain requirements that the developer has to fulfill as well. You mentioned one of them about the 50% bond financing related to the project. Yeah, what are some other criteria? Yeah. yeah. What are some other criteria that so- you have to have? So as a developer entering to this in this part of the commercial real estate industry, I would say my recommendation is education. Number one, find out what what the LIHTC program is about. How does it work? There's a lot of resources on YouTube. <laughs> Novogratic is one of our main resource um, source of resource in this industry. They put on webinars, they do conferences, but they also have a lot of free videos on YouTube where you can find out just to get a conceptual understanding of what is this. Um, what was what was that again? So for the sake of our audience. Sorry, that's Novogratic. They're an accounting firm, okay. but they are very heavily involved in the light tech industry. And um, get that. so I say education, is for, that will be your first, first point. Second, mm-hmm. find out what your state agency has, what information you have. So you can get a copy of the QAP, Qualified Allocation Plan, online mm-hmm. um, at Georgia DCA. I'm going to um, drop that in there as well in a little while. Okay. So you can get a copy of the QAP. They have all the QAPs for, I think they do it every year. So they have one for each year and they have a workshop. They actually have a workshop coming up next week. So if you're interested in just finding out what it is about, I think it's $250 for the workshop. You can go and and what they do at the workshop is talk about the changes to QAP that were made year over year. So it would be from 2020 to 2021. And why it's key to attend the workshop, this is very helpful as a developer, either entering or already in the industry and doing business in Georgia, because the scoring items might change or what may have been required as a list of items in the QAP. I know for us, we well, while I was a DCA, we were looking at re- community revitalization. What does that look like? What do you need to verify? Because these deals are coming in as assumptions. This is what I want to do. This is what I think my project will cost. This is what I think I can get in financing. And this is what we're going to provide as a development to our residents. And so the scoring comes in probably your amenities. Do you do you live near a transit station, a MARTA station, or that kind of stuff? And you just showing how does your project plan to um, bring back or revitalize that community it's going to exist in? So in terms of what would have been required documents to evidence that so you can get all of your points would have changed. So every year, you know, when since they started, they've tried to make sure that, you know, I think one year they were like, the government official has to sign off. And then I think what, the next year, they kind of was like, well, they don't anymore. So because this is not something in place and it's a difficult process to get a government official to sign off or what have you. But paying attention to your QAP, reading it. If you don't understand, go to the workshop, ask as many questions as you can. They have a staff that's there to answer all your questions, be it 9% or bond applications. And then I say, as a developer coming in, if you don't know, hire the experts that do. There are people that give legal opinion on tax exempt bond financing or bond deals. There's tax credit specialists who know a lot about the tax credit, the calculation, the compliance side, the compliance side, the compliance side. I say that three times because your investor is going to be very concerned 
are very wants to be very informed that you have the compliance and don't pack because when it comes to that first year of initial lease up, they want to be able to um, cash in on those tax credits that they have invested into your deal to getting at the end of that first year and continue for 10 years. And then compliance specialists. So get you a compliance specialist and then shop your investors. Here in Georgia, Georgia has a sweet advantage in the sense that we provide state level and federal federal level LIHTC. So you can get investor for state and an investor for federal, and your deal receives two, two types of equity, which increases um, your equity in your deal. However, it's only calculated on the max, the tax credits that you're allowed to get. And then I say this because um, this was one of our, our requirements at Georgia DCA. I'm not sure if it still is, but I, I very much think it is. Partner with a developer who has experience. I know when I was at DCA, what we required for you to become a qualified developer in our industry, you had to partner with a developer um, and there was a gradual increase in deals and experience, which got you to qualified qualified status as a LIHTC developer. So you you might have to give that developer some portion of your developer fee, but it helps you in the long run just to know the ropes of doing this business. It's not difficult. It really isn't, but it does require some education. Okay. And we're going to drill down a, a little bit on that and, and make sure that we're we're clear on the, the benefits and the differences and, and things of that sort. But let's take a question right quick. Monica Scott, you had uh, something you wanted to ask related to this. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm working with a developer who is an experienced developer from out of state. He's looking to acquire property that is already getting the tax credits, but he doesn't have a Q score in state. Is he able to acquire that score? How does it how does it happen in that situation? So he's never done a deal in Georgia. Yeah. But he's done deals outside of Georgia. Yes. Quite a few. He would have to go to through the qualification certification program at DCA. So I'm going to drop the link where you can get the QRP as well. It'll tell you as a developer what you need to submit to become qualified. So if he has experience, I think it's as going back to five years, place um, projects placed in service in the past five years, he they should be able to review his information and qualify him to do you know, to be a qualified developer here in the state of Georgia. And he would want to get that determination prior to submitting the application to DCA, your your joint application to DCA, because then you would then come in with him to earn your qualification, your certifying and qualifying. So once your project placed in service, that becomes your first deal. And if you do more deals for the next five years, then you become qualified and don't need that developer. Okay. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Also, I have one one more question. If he is bidding on a property right now that has that tax credit, would he get that tax credit or he still has to apply in order to get the tax credit? Will it go away or is it a possibility of attaining that with the application? If he's bidding at this, I'm guessing that it's DCA that he's bidding at for the qualified the project that's on the qualified contract. It's a private company. Okay. And it is in, It is his intent to re- keep it in the affordable housing program. Yes, it is. So that might be favorably looked upon uh, at DCA because okay. they're trying to keep projects in the program rather than lose projects. Okay. So, if I were him, I, I think there's a, a portion of that where you can inform them of what your intent is, of what your intent is um, to purchase a project that's on bid so that they can, you know, they can move the process along if it, it it's time sensitive. Okay. 
All right. Sounds but good. But bear in mind, DTA, you know, it's all within capacity and staff that's available to do that. But definitely mention that you're bidding on a project that's already in the LIHTC program because they are they are very um, responsive to those developers who want to keep the program going. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Appreciate that, Monica. Thanks for your question there. That was good. Pam did have a, a question she put in the uh, chat box. It says, so the developer needs to have tax credit or does the a property have the tax credit? So the tax credit is really, it's on the property. The developer has the experience to do tax credit developments. So when we talk about tax credit, it's, it's mainly like, well, we know what a tax credit is. You know, dollar for dollar, what the IRS gives you if you earn, um, if you're, you know, your dollar for dollar credit from the IRS. And this is this will go into effect also for the developer, or the investor rather, because the, the developer wants the tax credit for the sake of getting the investor involved in the deal. The, the investor wants the tax credit because he wants that liability. Okay, I'm going to take the next question. What are some rules of thumb to mitigate the approval process? I could tell you your best bet is be transparent with everything. In terms of your application, follow the QAP. The QAP if the QAP asks you for if it asks you for to list how many units, you just be very detailed. You need to have a LOI with your investor. So if you already, you know, put out bid for your deal, you have an investor. The investor need your deal needs to have a LOI. Please have the LOI because when the when DCA has to reach out to you for um, information. It, it takes a while, but the scoring period, that's a 9%. The, the scoring period that happens, sometimes you're not even, they're not even allowed to contact you during that, that period. So if your deal does not have what the QAP asks for, you won't get it. Then uh, you won't get that feedback. And then you just wouldn't pass threshold because you didn't have the items required. But on the 4%, it takes some time, sometimes, it takes quite a time sometimes because sometimes you're reaching out to developer. And I say this from experience, developers usually don't put together a well put together deal like they do 9% deals on 4%. They're like, I'll send the 4% at what I have and then let DCA tell me what they want. But that only prolongs the process. And then you have investors uh, pressuring you to close when DCA is waiting on documents so as to go ahead and give you the 42M letter. So Package, be sure to have everything you need that the QRP asked for to move that along. Well, there's one more question that came in, so go ahead and answer that. So the question is, how can you find out if a property is tax credit or do you apply for tax credit for the property? No, you can find out. So Georgia, um, actually on Novogratic website, I'm going to drop that link. You can put in the address and it can tell you. Also in Georgia, they have a list of all the tax credit properties should be since um, they have an interactive map as well. So if you put in a location, you want to find, you have an address and you want to find out if that's a tax credit property, you can go that, do, do that on Georgia DCA website. All right, so I've just made you host. So go ahead and um, you can share share your your video. Can you guys hear? So you have a company that's been successful yeah, and has generated a lot of revenue over the years. When you generate lots of revenue, that means you owe the IRS a lot of taxes. Of the 1986 Tax Reform Act, Congress created Section 42 of the Internal Revenue Code, otherwise known as the Low Income Housing Tax Credit. Under this low-income housing tax credit program, this company can contribute capital to or invest in affordable housing projects that will enable low-income families to live in quality housing while paying less than the fair market rent. In return for contributing this capital, the company is able to claim tax credits that will reduce its federal income tax liability. Now, obviously, the present value of the reduction in tax liability needs to be greater than the capital contributed for the program to be worthwhile to the investor company. So how exactly, though, does the program work? What are the mechanics? Well, let's talk about those. First of all, even though the tax credits offset federal 
tax liability, the responsibility for administering the program is actually delegated to state housing agencies. We use Oklahoma for our example. As defined in the code, each state receives a pool of tax credits based on the population of the state. So in 2010, the population of Oklahoma is approximately 3.67 million people. There is a factor by which the states multiply their population to identify their tax credit pool for the year. In 2010, that factor is $2.10. 3.67 million times $2.10 equals approximately $7.7 million in low-income housing tax credits to be awarded to real estate partnerships that apply for these tax credits. The tax credits will be awarded according to each state's Qualified Allocation Plan, or QAP. Although there are differences in each state's QAP, uh, so they can award credits according to the specific needs of their particular state, federal legislation and other guidance specify that certain provisions of the QAPs will be common to all of the states. Here's an example of a developer who has in mind constructing a two-building affordable housing project. All right. So that's just pretty much an overview of how this works, where it came from, what is it doing, what is who's using it, what is it doing. So automatically you have your players involved up front would be your developer, your, your the expert team putting together the application, the state housing finance agency, and your investor. And, and you're going to have a lot more conversation with the investor than the HFA because HFA is the Housing Finance Authority, because your investor is going to want to price that tax credit for you. You're going to want to get the best pricing for your tax credit, um, for the tax credit that you're going to give them. And they're looking for, they're going to evaluate your deal just as DCA would evaluate your deal to see how much tax credit would that deal yield. You know, once you get, if, if you're new to this, your tax credit specialist would be very helpful with this, a financial underwriter. Um, but that feasibility stage of the deal is crucial to determining whether this deal would fail or pass based on your QAP, the QAP for the state you're in. All right, gotcha. So let's um let's simplify it even more. Actually, well, Kimberly had a, had a question here. Let's take your question first, and then we'll we'll come back to um, what I was about to say. Go ahead, Kimberly. All right. Thank you, Mr. Miller. So with the tax credits, are there any stipulations on aesthetics of the development? No. Tax credit doesn't do that. Um, however, historic preservation. If you want to qualify for historic tax credit, you have to put you have to apply for historic preservation sometimes. And it depends on the building. It actually depends on the year the building was built or if it was declared um, a historic preservation. I know we did a deal, I think, in LaGrange, where the, the shippo, they were like, you could make any interior changes to the project. No exterior can be done. So it had to stay that look. And it was on the developer to be very creative not to have this looking dated, but um, because the whole idea of trying to renovate a, a, a deal that's under this program, mainly it would have been in the program 15 years. Usually when you're in the LIHTC program, your deal is in the program for 15 years, an additional 15 years if it's on qualified contract. So in 15 years, there's wear and tear on the building initially. So how does a developer say, okay, well, this, you know, if I'm going to be preserving the aesthetics on the outside of this deal, of this project, and only improving the inside, how how do I become marketable, curbside appeal included? Um, so it's very much a task on the developer to kind of maintain some aspects of that and they can go back and forth with Shippo on what they can do. Um, and Shippo is the agency that determines tax credit, um, historic preservation. And once you once you've gotten authorization that your project is uh, historic and they've received a letter from Shippo, you can then layer your deal with in addition to LIHTC with historic tax credits. No. I, I'm sorry. I meant uh, more so for ground up development. You know, say the development is 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 adjacent to a historic neighborhood, and so the neighborhood is wanting to preserve some character with the new development that is 
similar to the residential. So say they wanted, you know, a certain, maybe about 60% of the exterior to be masonry. I don't know. I'm just giving an example. Are there any restrictions with the tax credit on, on if the developer can do that or not? Generally, no. However, Georgia's QAP does have requirements for size or material in terms of what you're mentioning. Aesthetic-wise, generally, no. That's usually on the developer if they want to incorporate that similar look to have the neighborhood flow a little better in terms of visual. It comes into play if the if there's two other developers on the side or it's it's the city or what have you, and you're getting that letter from the government to say that they're on board about what you're doing because of your incorporation in, in your incorporation of those details into your project as well. But when it comes to the tax credit is really, does this deal qualify for the tax credits it's applying for? And pretty much does it qualify based on your the budget you've submitted? Okay. All right. Thank yeah. you. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. So just, just for simplicity reasons, uh, Zalik, I want to take a minute and just kind of uh, step back and let's look at it this way. I'm a developer. I see a, a parcel that I want to develop. Give me some reasons as to why I should look at LIHTC and why I should not. So let's um, let's start off with why. Why would I want to consider doing this project as a low-income housing tax credit or affordable housing tax credit as opposed to market rate? Well, for me, I always say this program has two parts. There's a financial benefit but there's the social benefit. As a developer, in your com- you're looking, uh, even if it's in your community or not in your community, you're looking to help make, you know, you're doing this because you want to help people's lives a little bit better. Doing it affordable would be that social impact in terms of like you can house families at a certain income rate, allowing them to be homeowners or, you know, have somewhere to live at a affordable rate, one. On the financial side, this tax credit money is money you don't have to pay back. It takes a lot to get it, a l- you know, a little bit of hassle with, with a team of people, but you don't have to pay this back. The, this actually cuts your debt. And Joel, I have another slide I could show you. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> but, I mean, you want me to give you the host back? Give me the host back. I can show you how it works in terms of like, you can go to the bank and say, I'm going to get a conventional loan to build this. Uh-huh. As a developer. And you already know what your NOI has to be in order to get that debt. You can say, okay, well, at a, at a lower rate, if I am able to reach a different target market with lower income, and I can build this thing with money I don't have to pay back and my debt is lowered. So let me just show you. So this is pretty much sources, project sources. Just say Joel said he wanted to build an apartment complex and he can go market rate and go for conventional debt. He can set his rents however he wants to. If he decides to join the LIHTC program, Rents do have to be set at a certain a certain criteria based on the AMI um, index published and that you can get from Novogratic as well. But this whole debt he'll be responsible for. The debt is reduced and this is also layered with other funding, but the debt is reduced at, by almost 13 million here because of the LIHTC equity. Mm-hmm. So the tax credits that you now gain on your projects, so you and how you gain the tax credit. So just real quickly, this is your development cost right here. Out of your development cost, the eligible cost, that eligible for tax credit, they go into eligible basis. If your project is located in a qualified, difficult to develop area, you can get a 30% boost. So then that can boost your eligible cost from 21 million to 27 or 28. If it's eligible to, um, if it's your projects in a QCT or DDA, and you can find out that on Novogratic website. Now with this qualified basis, you now get to calculate what that tax, tax credit percentage will be. So now at the, at the 
this is what your annual credits will be. At the 4%, this is what your annual credits will be. Either way, this is the equity that goes into your deal. And I've taken into consideration that in Georgia, we do state and federal. Um, and these are typical pricing back in 2018. So it might be a little bit lower, might one cent or two. But just for example purposes, this is the equity that goes into your deal. And so it determines that whether your your this is pretty high for nine percent. So most of the times we look at four percent, um, unless your nine percent deal is like extremely huge. It's not usually over a hundred units. Usually, um, a four percent are usually a hundred and over. But this is the equity you don't have to pay back, and then that goes into your deal. And you're now on the hook for ensuring that your your the twenty the two point one a million dollar debt rather than a $27 million debt. Okay. And what's the soft debt that you, you have there? What, so is, soft what debt would that be? This is where you can start to layer other things. You can reach out to Atlanta Housing. Do they have funding for, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was about to say, those chickens have got to be you. <laughs> I guess you're not in Atlanta where that skyline is. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I think um, they're going to go away in a minute, but I guess not. They're getting louder. <laughs> yeah, um, I do apologize. No problem, um, no problem. Such a deep subject in the in the land of uh, chickens, right? But go ahead. <laughs> I literally feel like he's trying to get closer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the soft debt is usually provide. You can look for soft debt in in any like in Invest Atlanta, in the city of Atlanta. It, you know, anywhere that they provide financing, they want to get on board on a affordable housing development. This this was actually an example of a deal I did at Atlanta Housing. So that soft debt would have been Atlanta Housing. And, and sometimes it's a debt that rollover. So if you are purchasing an asset that's already in a, the LIHTC program and it does have a soft debt on it, you can go back to that agency and ask them to roll over that debt definitely renegotiate terms that will be more feasible for you as a developer or owner to either repay or what what can be done. And usually the soft debt is paid by cash flow. And usually on, on, on these low-income deals, there's not a lot of cash flow available. So it might be 100% of what's left goes to the debt. I think this in particular had the belt line on it. And the belt line was, was at the point giving a grant amount. So these numbers are not real, but... Like you can go and find out if where's my pro where your project is located tells you where your money comes. Mm -hmm. So you could be in a tax district, you could be in a QCT or DDA, you could be in be able to house provide housing to Atlanta housing. This is all money, um, Atlanta housing residents that may be on a waiting list. You could uh, and you get the tax credit. All of this, and, and in some cases, usually in the 9%, if you have all of that, you don't normally see debt on the property. And if uh, usually with a 4%, there's going to be some debt. But if you, where your project is located tells you where you can get your money. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. So why would I not do a tax credit deal and opt for market rate? I mean, I certainly understand the advantages there, but you have a lot of developers that don't want to mess with it. So, how how would you how would you address that? Yeah, definitely the the regulations, the compliance, what's required, especially what I mentioned with that year one initial lease up. Your investors looking to have that tax credit to file when they file their taxes, when you know they want to have the eighty six or nine, and sometimes it's a little bit difficult to lease up a project. It depends. I don't know how, but sometimes it's difficult to lease up a project. And then you have a lot of challenges with NIMBYism. You have people like, not in my backyard, you're not going to build affordable housing. I know I live in Snellville. I typically live in Snellville, Georgia. And the first ever affordable housing development in Snellville, in, in my area, like I live next to Briscoe Park, was built last year. Mm -hmm. First, they don't have, the next one is an elderly home. And that's it. That's all we have in Snellville. 
you see more in Lawrenceville. There's a, a little bit more of the affordable housing. Um, you have it all across Georgia, but you have actual local governments or city officials who are like, I don't want that in my city. And there's a lot of kickback. It's too much of a hassle. Um, developers don't want to deal with that. And they don't want to, you know, you, if, if you're good with that, with city officials and, and you have a good relationship, you don't want to be the one coming and trying to convince them because they really feel passionate about not having affordable housing in their cities. And only because there's a stigma about it in terms of like afford people think affordable housing is Section 8, people not working, and they're just going to be there destroying the property and destroying the the, the neighborhood. Right. Um, whereas. <clears throat> Affordable housing has taken on so many different things, including workforce housing, which is people over um, 80% AMI income, just not able to afford that market rate, but in that sweet spot between affordable and market rate. Sure, sure. So let me ask you one other question. We're down to about 13 minutes. What, what's the impact? Of, well, let me let me talk about a, a specific deal that that I'm even sizing up right now. It's 300 something units and it is a tax credit deal, but the agent is recommending that even though the project is losing money as a tax credit deal, we could go in there and exit that deal early and return it to profitability. What are your thoughts on a situation like that? Exit the deal before year 15? Yeah. I'm not sure you can exit the deal before year. Well, the, the, the developer, in terms of the investor exit the deal, yes. However, the project cannot exit the program before year 15. However, you can prepare in year 15 if this is not where you want to continue and first ensure that the project is not in qualified contract. And qualified Mm -hmm. contract means that they've extended, they have agreed with DCA that we're going to do the LIHTC program 15 years, but we want to do 15 more. So if they have elected that, then you need to know, you need to find out that it's not on the qualified contract going forward after the 15 years. Yeah, definitely start looking at what your exit taxes are going to be, uh, what that purchase price is going to be. And in, in the LIHTC program, that all depends on um, fair market value or debt plus exit taxes. So start looking at the debt, start looking at your LPA agreements, your partnership agreements, any operating agreements that are on site. If you're really looking to exit the program, that will, that makes me sad, but. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, but that's, that's the, um, <clears throat> that's the, the way this is being marketed is, Hey, you can get out of it and return it to profitability, but aren't there a lot of penalties also, if you, uh, say, for an example, if you don't keep the threshold of, you know, the income where it needs to be, not the income, but to keep the rents where they need to be in order to qualify for the program. Yeah, the rent. So the rents are usually set. There's a gross that you mm-hmm. can go up to. But if you exit the program and you are rightfully at the end of your year 15 and you exit the program, then you can set your rents however you want to. Yeah, right. You enter well, the program, where the, the rent restriction starts to get applied well let's do this because i'll talk to you more about that offline um because i i don't want to hog the call Mm -hmm. here there was another question that ono came in with are there any good alternative alternatives you know of that can still make the project affordable without having to use state qaps how would you answer that oh how do you make a affordable project without the light that why not but anyhow you can (laughs) (laughs) You can look at, like I say, look at um, the city of Atlanta, like especially the city of Atlanta, because like I worked with the city housing authority, the TAD district, what dollars are available to throw into your deal. If you're look at what also try and see with Atlanta housing, like I think you can get PBRA funding if you elect a certain amount of PBRA units. And that's allowing for their residents to be able to qualify. And I think their residents start at 30% AMI qualification. And then there's, look at the Beltline, look at the city of Atlanta. The mayor already has a, a, a mandate to meet a certain amount of units. They might be looking to partner with 
developers find out what what can they bring to the table in terms of any financing to your sources that can get them your amount of units in their unit count. But you can look in those avenues for how you can get some financing to get your deal, you know, your cost down a little bit to being affordable. But usually the LIHTC blows it away. Okay. All right. Oh, no, hopefully that answered your your question there. So, you know, what's interesting is uh, we, we had two other bullets that we really wanted to go over as regards. Uh, we talked a little bit about layering, so we appreciate that and mm-hmm. um, how the deals are underwritten. Do you want to speak briefly about that before we uh, we wrap sure. up? Sure. Just, just sure. a tidbit. We got about eight minutes. Okay, no problem. I think I could do this in eight minutes. So we'll do it in five in case we got some other questions. That right. Come. So your deals are pretty much just like you would uh, get a loan um, to your commercial lender. The only thing with um, the LIHTC, we don't take into consideration the LTV of the project. So... It's underwritten, usually DCA um, has guidelines for underwriting a deal. It's 1.20 debt service coverage ratio, mm-hmm. 1.25 if it is a, a rehab. And you have to be able to, if you have the for developer fee in your capital stack, then you have to be able to pay that off within 10 to 12 years. How they under the assumptions they use the trending for income would be a two percent expenses three percent. It's similar to commercial, you know, market rate commercial real estate. Um, however, your vacancy rate would differ. So your vacancy rate DCA usually requires seven percent. It's pretty high. Usually, if your project has Section Eight on it, Section Eight is like guaranteed contract rent or even rad on it, you could probably talk to them and see if they will go as low as a three or five percent. But those are those typical underwriting requirements or threshold requirements usually they want to see in the development budget or performer when that comes to them. So I would say if you're going to prepare your application for DCA review, make sure your deal can perform with the vacancy rate that they require. And then you can submit a waiver request to ask them for a lower rate and explain why. So if your deal does not is not feasible with a lower rate with a with the higher rate of seven percent, but it works with a lower rate and you have a HAP contract for the Section 8 um, units uh Section 8 funding, you should be able to have enough information to tell them that this is why I want it lower. I can secure my rents. These are these are assured. They're coming from the housing authority. And here's my case. Can I lower my rate? Okay. Usually you do that in a qualification process um, before you submit your application. And then you can sub- they they're gonna approve or deny and what they whatever they approve, you're gonna have to resubmit your application, your full application with details and supporting documents that show this was approved and this is now the rate that you're using. Okay. All right, appreciate that. Ono had one other question. Why do nine percent products produce less units than four percent? Can you explain that in more detail? I'm not sure if there's a formula as to why. It's just most developers kind of look at the the lesser units being able to use more tax credit than because than having debt applied to the capital stack. So the higher you go, the more the cost is. There's only so much your units can carry in terms of Yield. in terms of debt mm-hmm. and. Of course, the lesser the units, lesser the cost, the more you're able to maximize than the LIHTC amount. So more more developers will tend to put the lesser units in the 9% because you can get greater equity there and have no debt rather than put more. I mean, really, you'll see over 100 units in a, four, in a 9% deal, unless it's like there was an initiative that DCA was like, we want, well, let's say we want more housing in such and such an area. And then you'll see developers chase the score. So they're chasing every point that they can try to get. So that's where you'll see most of the increase if that was a requirement. All right. Sounds good. So with that being said, that pretty much uh, wraps us up for today. We, we certainly 
this is a subject that you kind of get cheated with one hour. There's just not enough time to uh, really cover all the nuances of it. But it's just really to provide a taste and we could dig a little bit deeper, uh, perhaps at another time. Um, there were a couple of things you were going to drop in the uh, chat box. Uh, Novoradic, I think, was was one of them. There was a question that came up about sharing the slides. Would you be able to do that? Sure. I don't know if those are prepared. Okay. All right. So um, I tell you what, yeah, get them over I to me and I'll get them circulated out to the group. Let's see. And it was, I think there was another site that you had mentioned also. Georgia DCA. I'll get that for okay. you. Okay. All right. Georgia DCA. Okay. All right. Well, while you're doing that, um, I certainly want to thank everybody for uh, joining today. Uh, it was a very good call and the Mornings with Joe CRE podcast will be continuing on. Uh, again, this is an open invitation to you. If you uh, know of a subject or someone that you think will be great for this particular podcast, we'll be happy to have you. You know, just get that information out to me and we'll uh, see about getting them on on the program. Other than that, uh, Zalika, I guess you're going to have chicken for lunch today. Uh, that was no. a bad joke. <laughs> Off meet this week. So, <laughs> hey, Joel, this is Deneen. Yeah, hey, Deneen. Uh, the link that was sent out today, that will be the link that will be used each week. Yes. Okay. Yeah. We so, can everyone use that one that's week. on the call, if you'll note that in your Monday morning calendar or whatever it is that you have, mm -hmm. um, we'll continue through REAP to send out information. But every, every Monday morning, 10 a.m., until Joel says he's not going to do it anymore. <laughs> Use that link. And um, again, you'll get more updates from us as well. Okay. Yeah. Thank you about that, Deneen. So uh, <clears throat> we'll be sending out a link about next week's class. Uh, we have the individual lined up for that. And uh, we look forward to that. But we'll let you know about that at the appropriate time. Salika, you still with us? Yep. I'm still okay. here. You got you. Uh, got you. I put DCA's website in there and Novogratic. Novogratic, that's where you find your applicable percentage, tax credit percentage. However, it's now fixed with the nine and the four percent. You find out whether your project's in the QCT or DDA. You use your mapping tool. You find out what the light tech rents are for your area. That is a wealth of resources. Um, even with the new markets tax credit, you can find our information on that website as well. And if you need help navigating, just feel free to ask questions. Okay. All right. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you again. Uh, this was a, a great call. We'll let you go back to the uh, beach and the chickens. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> hey, I'm jealous. So, I, you know, don't, don't take that personal because uh, I wish I was laid up on a beach somewhere. But anyway, I know you're working. I'm messing with you. But thanks so much for uh, being willing to take out the time and uh, help us out with this podcast today. It was a wealth of information and, and it was you know, it's like I said, we need more time. Unfortunately, we just don't have it. So we'll uh, we'll get that and make that happen going forward. But to everyone else that's joined our call today, we want to thank you very much for being here. We appreciate you. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week as well on the Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. Thank you so much. And everybody have a great afternoon. Thank you, Zalika. You've been listening to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Please check back weekly to hear our upcoming guests.